You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Just to kind of, I always want to celebrate wins when, and when we see them around. We don't, Christians, you know, Christians are allowed to celebrate. I don't know if some of you knew that or not, but uh, some of you don't. You celebrate Georgia wins, but you don't celebrate Jesus wins. So I want to try to, you can celebrate Georgia wins because I know they've been, you know, in the past have been few or far between. A couple of years, you guys have been okay. So yeah, but you never know when that season's going to end, y'all. But uh, we want to celebrate when there's wins here. And, and so we started uh, this, this past week, CBC Neighbors began with the Dream Campaign, and, it, and they didn't know what to expect. They certainly didn't expect almost 50 kids to show up, which was awesome. Um, and so that's a big win, y'all. Um, it's just a lot going on there, and they're meeting two days a week. If you want to jump in with them, they would love to have more people. <laughs> they would love to have more people. With, with CBC Kids, we didn't lose any kids last week. That's a win. Every week we don't lose kids, that's a win. Uh, so yeah, clap for that one too. But uh, high school and middle school, Y'all, are, they're busting at the seams. Uh, Talavo's gathering this past week was awesome. They had a bunch of high schoolers. If you're, if you're a high schooler and you haven't gone yet uh, and chugged in, it's still early. You can gra- go in there. Middle school meets second service. Just a lot of cool things going on. Community group signed up last week. There was a ton of people put their name on the list. I hope you'll follow through with that and get plugged in. Um, just a lot of good things going on there. So we're excited about that. Um, Want to highlight that starting next week, we're going to do a new series. Um, and... and it's a series that will go seven weeks. It's, it's going to be a PG series. I'm just telling you right up front. Because we're going to talk about relationships and intimacy, uh, biblical sexuality a little bit. And we're going to cover the gamut. And we're not doing that to be a kind of hipster cool. We're doing it because as we kind of shepherd and counsel people, this is one of the main issues that we're dealing with. So we're going to cover everything from singleness and dating to parents raising kids to uh, healing from wounds and these issues. Um, and so that's going to start next week. I, it's, you know me. I mean, unless Bill Fowler shows up like the old Bill Fowler, you're going to be safe. And he might show up first service. Second service, you're safe because I'm more tame second service. But you guys are the wild cards. But you all love me anyway, so you won't fire me. But second service will fire me. Um, but I would say if you have an elementary school child, that's your call. I mean, you can put them in class or not. Middle school and above, you may not, oh, my kid doesn't know anything. They've never heard anything. Yeah, right. Okay, so you, unless, you, unless you live in a cave and homeschool, yeah, that's right. Okay. PBS, for goodness sakes, is, is introducing the things. But this is a discipleship issue for our church, and we're going to see what Scripture has to say. Um, and so that's coming next Sunday, just at FYI. Um, and the third thing really is, I, I just wanted to see if anyone did their homework and re- memorized uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I mean, because anybody, any, any one person bold enough? I got a prize. I have a prize. <laughs> if he, and if no one wins it, I'm taking it. Oh, great. Chick-fil-A on me. All right, good. No one has the courage to stop. Okay, let's see if second service beats y'all. All right. We are going to be in uh, today, Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't, there should be one in front of you. You can kind of grab the table of comp- contents. It's about seven-eighths through your Bible, if you can do that math. When I was a senior at, um, at the Citadel, I was in my company placed in charge of training all the incoming knobs. I was, it was called the cadre platoon leader, right? Um, and so I'd come back early and train, and then the, the freshmen would come in, and then we'd have a week with them, and we would train them. Um, and, and so it was, it was pretty, I, I always loved that. I did that every year. Um, and so I was in charge of it my senior year. And so one night, kind of midweek, I took some of my other officers, and we went out and just got something to eat, because the cafeteria then was awful. 
uh, the mess hall, we called it. We didn't call it cafeteria. And so we went out and, eat, and, and I made a fatal error. I left my corporals in charge. And the corporals were 19-year-olds that had just come off their freshman year, and they were just mad at everything. They were just angry. So I go out, have, some, have me some, you know, I don't even remember where we went. I came back, and my company tack officer was standing there. And the tack officer was an, a real officer. All right, he was like in the real military. We were pretend military. He was real. And he was this real nice, he was this Air Force guy, and he had red hair, and he was always smiling. He was just not, and you know, never mean, just the happiest Air Force guy you ever met, right? Until that night. He was not smiling when I walked back in, and he said, Fowler. I go, oh, man, what did these guys do? And so he took me aside, and he said, your corporals took it upon themselves to give the freshman knob showers. I'm like, yeah, I... I told him, go, you know, got to get him ready for bed, give him knob showers. See, knob showers, though, a little bit different back then, is you took your knobs up into the shower room in full uniform with raincoats and their rifles, all right? And you march them around, and it gets real hot, and they, get, they do push-ups and all sorts of stuff, right? And, and that, that was normally fine. The year before, it would have been fine. But that year was the first year that we had admitted women at the Citadel. And there was, a, there was one woman on campus, and that, the entire world was watching the Citadel. I mean, Good Morning America was outside the gate. And, and he was like, you're going you're gonna to destroy this place, right? You're going to blow this place up. And he hammered me. I've never seen an Air Force guy yell that loud. I mean, never. And he, was, he hammered me and said, your responsibility, you have a calling, you have a job, not only to train these freshmen, to protect these freshmen, but you have a job to represent this school, and Good Morning America is right there. And he let me have it. And I, and I learned a lesson that day, a good lesson, that my, you know, I had 40, 40 freshmen under my training, but it was bigger than just that. My calling, my responsibility, I represented the entire deal and I could make it go either way. And that is the heart of the passage I want to I unpack for us this morning. You, as, as a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a huge, high calling. God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every. That before the foundation of the world, he chose you to be adopted into his family. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit who is your pledge, who is your down payment, who will be with you forever. You were dead, we sang it, now you are alive. You were alienated, you were strangers, now you are family. You have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And the, and, and the writer uses the past tense, it's, it's a done deal. Even though it's in the future, it's so done, it's, it's, it's past tense. In this coming age, he will show you his immeasurable riches of his kindness. You are an alien and a stranger, now you are family. You have a father who is able to do abundantly more than you ask or think according to the power at work in us. These are all part of our calling and our identity and that carries huge responsibility. And, and what that is, we're gonna look at today in Ephesians chapter four because it's our job to carry that, and carry that weight just like me carrying the weight of training and, and responsibility of representing, that's us. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And, and really, just what I want to do is, as we kind of launch into the fall, and we got new series, and now our ministries are kind of colleges like the last thing, because SCAD has the best schedule in the history of colleges, right? So they're not back yet. But, so that's like kind of the last thing to launch. But before we kind of jump in full speed, fall ministries, new series, I just want to stir us up by way of reminder. What are we doing? Why are you here? Right? What, 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 what's the goal? I watched The Hunt for Red October last week. Great movie. Sean Connery. He's this great 40, been in the Navy, the Russian Navy, 40 years. 
And what I noticed about him in this movie is he will give orders and he won't tell anybody why. And everyone's like wondering, what's he doing? Right? He's like, turn into the torpedo. Doesn't seem like a good idea. And, and all he had to do was say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn into the torpedo because we're going to make the distance shorter and it's not going to blow up. He could have told everyone that, but he doesn't. He just says, turn into the torpedo. And they're all freaking out until, oh, I get it. Right? Give me one more ping, Vasily. One ping only, please. You know, he's like, what are you doing, Captain? He never tells them what they're doing and why. And so they're always kind of spazzing. I, don't, I want you to know why. So they, there's a time when you got to trust your leaders, and I don't get it. But for the most part, I want you to know where we're going. I don't want you to sit and like, oh, I don't know what's going on here. What's going on? I want you to see where we're going. So if someone says, tell me about CBC, you can say, hey, we gather to equip. We grow so that we can go and be the church. It's real simple. We're all headed that way. And those kind of ideas come right out of the passage we're going to look at today. We didn't invent that. We didn't kind of make it up so we can put it on the website. It's right out of the text we're going to look at today. So Ephesians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And we're going to look, we're going to kind of hit pretty quick through these verses. Like a couple years ago, I taught through this book, and I, I dealt more specifically with these in two sermons. And so if you want to go back and get a little bit more detail, we're going to kind of stay at 30,000 feet. But I want us to see kind of three ways that, that we are to, to live out who we are, right? So, so let me kind of highlight the book. Chapters one through three, Paul's in prison. He is telling us, reminding us who we are in Christ. Chapters four through six, he's saying, this is your responsibility because of who you are in Christ, right? It's a mini Romans is what I call it. It's just who I am and now what I'm called to do because of Jesus. And so he starts off in chapter four, verse one. I therefore, anytime you see the word therefore, what do you ask? What it's? He's linking back to what he said. I, because of what I've just said, all these things, and all those promises, by the way, I kind of opened with, they were right out of Ephesians 1 through 3. I just kind of went through Ephesians 1 through 3 and highlighted who you are. Chosen, adopted, alive, all these things. Because of all that, I, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Because of who you are, he says, I'm gonna beg you I'm going to beg you, I'm going to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your, and underline this in your Bible if, you have, if you're an underliner, of your calling. All right, your calling. So in Christianese little circles, sometimes people come up to me like, Bill, when did you get the call? I'm like, what call? The Batman call? What, the president? I play dumb because I, I know what they're saying, but I want them to actually explain it because we use this language and we don't really know what it means. Because the reality is, you know when I got the call? Before the foundation of the world, when God chose me. That's when I got the call. Right? It wasn't in 2002 when I went to seminary, when we planted this church in, in 2007. I, before the foundation of the world, God chose me. That was my call. And here's the thing you got to grasp. If you're a follower of Jesus, you got the call too. Okay, look to the person to your right and your left and say, I've been called. That wasn't convincing. Say, I've been called. It's Clayton, come on. You can do better than that. You got it. All right, good. Hey, you've been called. Right? I just made it official. If you don't believe me, there you go. Right there. Three times. You are in. Every one of us has a calling by God. And so now he says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy. And it's this word that means uh, originally to balance out the scales. And so you remember, you know, kind of Lady Justice is holding the scales and you put too much weight on the scale and it goes over here, right? This word for worthy means to balance it out. Here's what you've been given. Boom. Chosen, called, adopted, alive, immeasurable grace. Now, you, you are to live in a manner worthy. Understand you are not paying God back. You can't pay God back. You can never pay God back. 
So don't come in here thinking, well, I gotta, I gotta do this because I, gotta owe, I owe God. You don't owe God nothing. You can't give him anything. What are you gonna give him that he doesn't already own? But the idea is, here is who you are. Boom, live it out now. All right, and he is going to tell us what that looks like in this text. He's gonna talk about what balancing out the scales looks like, and there's gonna be three things Okay, three things he's going to highlight. And the first one you see in this list that he jumps right into. So you walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He just kind of goes. Here's what it looks like. And what you notice about this list, if you are alone, if you are Tom Hanks on the island with Wilson, you can't do this. Wilson, I'm being patient with you. Right? I mean, that's why he needed Wilson, because he was so alone. You cannot do these things in isolation, right? So the first way we balance out the scales is in other-centered relationships. There's a commitment to other people, right? To other people, not just Wilson the volleyball. And look, and look what he says. Humility, first one. A person that, that doesn't regard themselves as more important than others, that's Philippians 2. Jesus regards other people as more important. So uh, other centered relationships look like you are not a consumer. You don't come here, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, and I leave all full, and you never give out. They don't come thinking, my way or the highway. It's what I think, it's what I believe, it's what I say, it's what I want. I'm insistent on myself. An other centered relationship looks like people that come and say, I, I need you. Right? I need you to help me. I need you to speak truth to me. I need you to walk with me. I need your encouragement. I, it, it's, a, it's someone who says, I need something. Not that I have it all together. Right? Other center relationships, people say, I'm sorry. Say, please forgive me. They own when they mess up. Not only at church, but I'm talking at the office. I mean, if you're the guy at the office, the gal at the office, it's never your fault. You always make excuses. You're always shifting blame. You're always this. There's no humility. Right? You're, you're about you. You're about guarding yourself. And so the uh, humility, huge, huge piece. Gentleness. It's n- the opposite of harshness and being insistent on your own way. Right? Demanding the boss who walks in and just looking to hammer you when you make a mistake or looking to control everything or looking to, you know, make sure everyone knows that I'm the boss and I'm not. Or you coming home from a long day at work and, and you know, you just see everything that's not been done. You know, the kids didn't do this and the trash is still this and the stock drawer's not organized. And, and look at this house, what have you been doing all day? And kids, you know, it's that, it's the opposite of gentleness. And it's not by accident that humility and gentleness are placed first. Because Jesus himself, when he describes himself, he says, take my yoke upon me. Right, you know that passage? He says, I am humble and I am gentle. And what we're looking at here is balancing out the scales is not just doing, trying real hard, gutting it out. It's literally letting Christ live through you. What Jesus wants is Christ to live through his church, that we are his hand and feet. So the two first characteristics are the very things that Jesus says, this is who I am. Right? This is who I am. Humble and gentle. And if you think, think about how countercultural this is. Okay? So if in the, in the world, if you're important, you got status. You know, you're the Queen of England, you're a movie star, you're important, you're an athlete. What do, you, what do you actually do? You demand things. 
Right? So I went to the, uh, I spoke at the Pivot Conference on Friday night. It was awesome. And they treat you so good. I mean, I went in a little room in the back and they had just like coffee for, I mean, I'm just like drinking free coffee. It was so awesome. And they got Cokes and they got snacks. And I'm just like, this is great. Uh, CBC needs to catch up with this church. <laughs> I mean, I need a fridge with Cokes and everything. In it. And they had, I had a security guard. He literally, I texted him when I got there, he told me to, and he followed me all around. It was kind of weird. I'm like, dude, you all right? And he's like, yeah, I'm supposed to follow you the whole time. And he followed me all the way till 10 o'clock at night when I went to my car and his duty was over. I'm like, I could get used to this. (laughs) I mean, I'm in the back, I'm getting free Cokes, I got a security guard. I mean, this is pretty good, right? But see, what happens when you, quote, have status is you start thinking, (laughs) you start believing it. And then I get into my, my Honda, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, we're back to earth. No AC. Okay. <laughs> but the idea there, the world when you have status demands that you, you're on the red carpet, baby. You need, to, you need to serve me. You need to look at me. What are you wearing, Fowler? You're on the red carpet. Well, it's old navy. You like it? I mean, that's what we think. But Jesus says, here's your status. Child of God. Heir of the kingdom, chosen by me. And you think, wow, I'm pretty important. He says, so now be humble and gentle. It is completely opposite of what the world would do, which is why the church is supposed to be distinct. Right? Other center relationships. He keep going on. Right? Patience, bearing with one another. Uh, eager to maintain the spirit, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And what I love about Paul, and you, and you know what those things are. But what I love about Paul is... He's, he doesn't have this like pie in the sky view of the church that maybe some of y'all do. He knows that the closer you get to people, the stinkier they are. He assumes there is going to be challenges and people are going to annoy each other and, and have problems. There's just stinkiness. Remember back when, Elm, and for those of my generation, remember, I don't, this, when I think of that, I don't know why this comes to mind. Remember when you were in an elementary school and you had to go to music class and you played the recorders? Does anyone remember those recorders? And remember they always stunk. Do you remember that? I always think, why does this thing stink? And, and then I realize it. Oh, that's someone else's spit, all right? <laughs> I don't know why that comes to mind right now, to be honest with you. But, but the idea of the stinkiness of being around people and being, it's just stinky. And so Paul says, you, if you're going to balance out the scales, you are going to, to be eager to maintain unity. You already have unity. Do you realize that? You are already unified in Christ. Christ has already established this. He took Gentiles and Jews. He put them in one body. That's Ephesians. You already have it, so it's your job, it's my job to maintain it, to be eager to do it, to bear with one another. It takes a long time to heat up, right? And the tendency is when you are hurt, when you're wounded, is to do one of two things. You either flee or you lash out, and neither are balancing out the scales, and y'all, I know this is easy to say, and it is super hard. And all you have to do, if you've been wounded and hurt, and, and, and it's just empty, you, you get this. But what is worthy, what is balancing out the scales is moving forward, right? And sometimes that goes against every feeling that you have, but sometimes your calling, understand this, this is huge for you yet, your calling is opposite of your feelings. It just is. Right? So you're calling as a mama at two in the morning when that baby's crying. Your feelings say no. Your calling says yes. Right? And, and that's, that's the idea here. And it's amazing how if you take a step of obedience, sometimes your heart will follow as the Spirit empowers you. It's not, you can't do it. Don't, don't say, I'm not telling you you can do it. You can't do it on your own. It has to be Jesus in you doing it. But it's amazing how when you take that step, 
he will he'd give you just enough, right? And, and look, sometimes there's going to be distance, even still. Sometimes you pursue peace, and you, and you have it, and you've reconciled, but you're just not close, and that's, that's going to happen. Paul and Barnabas. Paul says, I want Silas. Barnabas says, I want Mark. They can't agree, so they split. Which one's right? Both. Right? In the end, they circle back, and they're not necessarily as close as they were, but, but that's okay. But with the, the question is this, is where's your soul in all that? And you can, you can have, have, you know, okay, we're not going to be as close as we were and we can agree to disagree. But when you see that person or you see the little picture on Facebook or you hear their name, is your soul at rest still? That's the question. Because if it just all of a sudden gets, then, then that's something you got to wrestle with and deal with. That's, that's maintaining the unity. Um, because we got to remember, just like I getting hammered by my Air Force tack, it's bigger than you. Something bigger. Right? It's the name of Christ. And here's, what, here's even deeper, is if that person is a Christian and they have wounded you or you've wounded them, but if they've wounded you, if they are a believer, their sin has been forgiven by Christ, just like yours has. And you gotta be okay with that because Christ is, right? And, and so he says, this is, what, this is balancing out the scales. And here's what he does. He explains why in verses four through six. He explains why. It says, there is one body. Understand though, in the Greek text here, Paul does something very unique. There's no verb. Now, in English, you know, our translators have to have a verb because Mrs. McGillicuddy, our first grade teacher, says there has to be a verb for that to be a sentence. It's not a verb. It's not a sentence if it's not a verb. Well, in Greek, you don't have to. And he literally just, he goes into and it says, one body, one spirit. And, and notice the repetition. Just one, 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 one. Just as you're called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Where does he root the reasoning for doing this? And who God is. God is triune. In fact, there's a verse for every member of the Trinity. You got the verse for the Spirit, right? The one who brings hope. The Spirit who, who calls you. You have the verse that ref reflects on Christ, one Lord as Christ, one, one faith, one common faith in, in Christ and what he has done, one baptism, which pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and then you have one God and Father of all. And what he's saying is, this is who God is. He is diverse but unified. He is three but one. He pursues peace with us. He actually, the, the members of the Trinity glorify each other and, and the Father wants to glorify the Son, the Son wants to glorify the Father, the Spirit proceeds from both and glorify. And there's this, there's this oneness and this pursuing each other. He says, that's what the church is supposed to be. You're supposed to reflect that, right? Because our God reflects that. This is why I know some people, like, theology doesn't matter. It kind of does sometimes. But our God was humble. We're to be humble. Our God was gentle. We're to be gentle. Our God buried with us. He pursued peace. He did all these things. That's who we are, right? That's who we are. That's what balancing out the scales looks like. Other center relationships. All right, let's continue in our text. Verse seven. It says, but grace was given to each one. And I'm going to read it all and come back and explain it. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led, host of, uh, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all things that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And now you're like, man, I don't get all this going up and going down deal. What's this going on here, right? Let me kind of give you what's going on. They understand the imagery. 
in their day when the king would go out to battle. Everything was on the line. It wasn't like, you know, on next Saturday, your, your kings go out to battle. If they win or lose, yeah, you're, you're sad and it ruins your week, but no one dies. Their king goes out to battle, everything is at stake. And if he would win, right, they would have this huge victory parade and they would come back through the city and all the, the captives that he rescued, all the people that had been taken, they would be in the parade and they, it, all the spoils of war would be in this parade and there'd be your king riding on his white horse or whatever out front and he would literally give the spoils of war to his people as gifts. And the picture here is Jesus is the king who went to battle and he won. How did he win? By descending into the earth, that's the grave, and ascending into the heavens. That's when he goes back to heaven. And as he ascends, he gives gifts to men or to his church, right? And those gifts are spiritual gifts. He mentions just a few here, but he, there's a lot more you can find in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 4. But he gave prophets and, and teachers and evangelists and the apostles and pastors to equip the church for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so here's kind of the progression. Jesus comes, he fights the battle, he goes into the grave, he comes out victorious, and then and 40 days later he ascends back into heaven, and as he does and the church begins, his spirit falls on men, and we have gifts now, and the gifts are meant to build the body, to equip the saints to do what? The work of ministry, and it's the same word we get our, our word deacon from. Right? That who the, now, if you're, a, if, if you're a saint, that means you're a Christian. We're not talking about the guys in you know, the 12th century who have, you know, in the catacombs. Every Christian is a saint. So what does this text say about what are the saints to do? The saints do the work of ministry. Right? So this is going to take a little bit of adjustment for some of y'all. Not all of you. Some of you get this. You've been here long enough. There's an adjustment in your mind because when you think about ministry, you're like, write a check, go to church. Say, Bill, great sermon, even if it wasn't. Great sermon. Keep him going, right? And that's my job. They do ministry. I pay him. And, and it's going to take you a little bit of an adjustment to get out of that because that has been the case in, our, in America for a while. That's not the church. You got a little, a little bit of adjusting going on here. When I, I went to Philly a couple weeks ago, Pittsburgh and Philly, I got in a rental car. They didn't have the SUV, a mini SUV, and so they said, well, just pick one. And I, I looked at this little one. I was like, the two-door little coupe. That looks cool. I'll get that one. I got in, and I'm going down the road. And I look down at the speedometer, it says 130. I'm like, whoa! And you know, after last week, I'm not the fast guy, right? And I'm like, how is that possible? This thing is way off. Then I recognize, this thing is all kilometers. I'm like, I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They don't have an American car. They don't have miles per hour. I don't know kilometers. I got to get my app out and like trend. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm going 70. Okay. I'm walking down the highway, uh, 140. Okay, that's 80. Okay, good. I, I, it took some adjusting in my mind. Some of you, it's going to take some adjusting to get out of, I pay for ministry, I do ministry. I know this is a shocker. You're like, I shouldn't have come to church today. Now I found out I have a calling, and I also find out I'm supposed to be doing ministry. Yes. <laughs> to walk worthy of your call. Other center of relationships, we want to be about that as a church. And we want to be all doing ministry. And before you freak out and think, oh, i got to go to seminary, I'm not very smart, I don't know what I'm doing. Right? I know that's intimidating. All ministry is, is what he say, is building the body of Christ. It's building up people. 
So ministry is taking place right now in this room as, as someone is up in the booth and, and doing things. And someone is, is giving snacks to three-year-olds and loving on them. And someone's found you a seat and someone practiced and led you. And work. There's, those, are, those are ministry things, but that's not it. I mean, if you are, you know, mowing your neighbor's lawn because their lawn more broke, that is ministry. If you see that couple and you grab them and you're like, hey, you guys look like you're struggling. Why don't you come over and we'd love to pray with you and, and, and feed you and we'll watch your kids so you can go out on a date. That's ministry. If you're a mom doing five loads of laundry a day as a stay-at-home mom, that's ministry. That is your ministry. Right? Ministry is building up people. You go to the hospital and visit someone and just comfort them when they're struggling. You take your extra, you get off at three, and so you go coach that little t-ball team of those six-year-olds, and, and you have intentionality there, and you're going to love on them and try to, try to encourage the parents. That's ministry. Right? You write someone a letter to just encourage them. You lead a community group. These, these are all ministry. You have a bunch of teenagers over your house and you, 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 and you own, you basically have bought yourself a franchise of Little Caesars because you're like, man, I'm going to Little Caesars. I work at Little Caesars, right? There's some intentionality there. That's ministry. And what we want you to, I want you to get seeing and we gotta, we gotta have some adjustment, go from kilometers per hour, miles per hour, is that ministry is building, but it's not necessarily at the building. That's what we, that's the church. That's being the church, and we got to get that into here. Yes, do I need 100, 120 folks to be in the children's ministry at this church because we have like 250 kids under fifth grade? I do. Oh, absolutely. Does that mom who's got three kids under six-year-old, does she appreciate someone taking her kids for 75 glorious minutes? Whether or not she hears a sermon, she's probably sleeping and I'm fine with her sleeping in the sermon because she don't get none. Yes, do we need that? Yes. Do we need folks helping with math tutoring and science tutoring and feeding and all these? Yes. But do we need folks at Gulfstream and at Savannah High and at, I think Savannah High is that way, sorry, and, and wherever you work or in your neighborhoods doing ministry? Yes. That is being the church. We're trying to get people, now we love people here on Sundays, but we're trying to like scatter this is, this is just like a pep talk for you guys to equip you in the word, and then you go out and do the word. That, there's some intentionality there. And so what you gotta do is you gotta discover how am I wired, what's my margin, where are my spiritual gifts? You have at least one spiritual gift that, that God who chose you before the foundation of the world said, I'm gonna, this guy is gonna be a teacher, this, guy is, this, this person's gonna have a gift of faith or generosity or mercy or, or hospitality, whatever it is, and, they've, and God has given it to you, and you do not want to waste it. And that's not even counting natural talents. I mean, you might have natural gifts. You might be the best drummer in the world. Sean Walters used to get, joke that he had the gift of drumming. It's not in the scripture, but he had a gift of drumming. He's awesome. But he used, he used his gift of encouragement through the drums. But whatever it is, you gotta find out how God has wired you. You don't wanna waste it. You have a supernatural gift given by the Holy Spirit of God that he has given you to build. You don't want to waste it. You don't want it to be like, you know, those bag, you know, you guys buy those bag salads. 50% of the bag salads go bad, right? Because you buy them and it's like, you sit in there and then you find them and are like, oh, it's growing its own garden. The salad's got a garden, right? You know, it's two months old. Is that just us? I'm, you know, I don't know. But you don't want it to be a bag salad sitting in the, in the fridge on the shelf, getting all stinky and nasty. Use it. 
Right. Discover what it is. You're like, I don't know what it is. Jump in somewhere, find something. If you're like, oh, they don't, they, I'm definitely not gifted there. Great. At least we know that. We've eliminated that piece. But you're not going to sit, you're not going to find it sitting around doing nothing. Right? That's, that's what we're called to do. We're, con- we're connected to one another. We are family and we're, we're committed to each other. Just needs to be people, however God's wired you, however he's gifted you. And sometimes you, do, you serve outside of your gifting and that's necessary too. Right? Because, because there's a need. But we don't want to waste. That's, we don't want to waste what God's given. This is the S in our specs. Our stewardship, you're, you're using your gifts and your talents for God. And so, so, so he's honored. So other centered relationships and we're doing ministry. And the last thing is this. And here's the last way we balance out the scales is that we grow. That we grow. Right? God wants you to grow up in the faith. And look what he says in verse 13. So this is the purpose of building the body. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, here it is, to a mature manhood. And he uses the word for an adult man, a five foot six adult man, the perfect height for adulthood, right? (laughs) But he says, I want you to grow into maturity. I want you to grow to be in the measure and stature and the fullness of Christ. That's the goal, is growth. I love kids. We love kids at our church, but we do not need 1,300 people that are acting like kids. Where's my Fruit Loops? You, you broke my Lego. It's, it's, when, that is chaos. The, the, yes, you, you are born and you grow. Long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the idea is growth. Even the parable of the full soils. There's fruit and there's growth. So that's, that's the goal. Right? That, that we would be growing. And he gives kind of four ways in which he, he identifies some areas of growth. And you can kind of look at these. We'll hit them real quick. But uh, the first one is that you would know the truth. Right? That you would know the truth. He, he says it right here. That you would have the knowledge of the Son of God. That you would grow in your knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done. And this is, this is honestly, I can teach for 45 minutes on a Sunday. This is, this is up to some of y'all. To, in your own time, and carve out time and you know, memorize Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And I ain't giving out Chick-fil-A next week, but, you know. Uh, but spend some time in the Word and re- renew your mind so that you may know what the will of God is. That's what's good, acceptable, and perfect. You don't have to have two-hour quiet times, but you got to renew your mind and you got to learn truth. Otherwise, what does he say in verse 14? So that you're not going to be carried away and, and move to and fro and, and not children tossed by every wave of doctrine. When something comes out and says, they found the body of Jesus in Jerusalem. No, they didn't. They didn't find it, right? Or this, oh, we've discovered in 2018 now really what, what the intention of marriage is or whatever else. When these things come out, you say, no, 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 I know what the truth says. I'm not, I'm not a baby, right? I'm not thrown off by this or that, right? So there's a growing there. There's a growing in, in speaking the truth in love. So there's, there's growing up in every way. So there's authentic relationships, authentic loving relationships where you're committed to a person, even if they hurt you, that you're willing to, to, to grab them and say, hey, help me, I'll help you. Right? And, and notice it's not just speaking the truth, speaking the truth in love. And, and you, really, the, speaking the truth in love comes in the context of relationship. I mean, you just show up to, you know, community group once, you know, your first Wednesday night at community group, and all of a sudden you start hamming everybody? You think that's going to be effective? We've never kicked anybody out of a community group. You'd be the first. You have no context. You have no relationship. Right? But if you've been walking with someone for four years, 
meeting for coffee every other Wednesday. You've been married for 15 years. There's some, there's some context and relationship where you can say, hey, this is one thing I just think you ought to consider. That only comes when there's a commitment to other center relationships, y'all. Because what happens when someone says, hey, I think this, and you pull away, oh, you get all offended. Oh, you hurt my feet, you don't love me. No, I do love you. That's because faithful are the, are the wounds of a friend, and I'm trying to come and and help you to grow. And so that's a way we grow. He says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped with each part is working properly makes itself grow. And notice the language, whole body, every joint, each part. Growth for us looks like there's, there's getting close to full participation. Right? No one's sitting on a bench. There's the greatest sports movie ever, I've told you before, is Hoosiers. It's not Rudy. Sorry, Greg. Um, I know you disagree, but that's all right. And, and there's, this, there's this great scene when Ollie, who is the bench warmer, Ollie doesn't want to even play, but he's on the team, right? And he wants to be on the bench, and he's scared to go in the game, but everyone's fouled out, so Ollie's got to go in the game, right? And everyone's like, oh, no, Ollie's in the game, right? But what ends up happening is he, you know, he makes two free throws, and they win, and he's all excited. But some of you are like Ollie. You're like, I don't want to get in the game. I might mess things up. Mess things up. Everything's messed up. It's okay, we don't want a bunch of Ollies sitting on the bench that could be winning the game. Right? And then, you know, Ollie now he wants to get in the game, but he stinks and he can't get back in the game, but that's okay. But the idea is we don't need any bench warmers. We don't need any bench warmers. It doesn't mean you're doing 10 things, but you're just not sitting there watching Jesus move through people and reach people and do great things, and you're just like, that's great. I'm glad I'm on this team. Right? No, you get in the game, do something. Start praying about what, God, what do you want me to do with this life? I only got one life. Let me live it to the fullest for you, right? So there's full participation. And here's the last part. I love it. He says, the body grows and builds itself up in love. That we are growing in love, right? And, and I love that he lands here at the end. He doesn't land with, with guilt, right? So sometimes in church, we Guilt, yeah, you ought to do this because God did this. Paul did not spend three chapters unpacking our identity in Christ and try, yeah, you ought to do this, man. You better do this because God did this and he's so good and you're so not. So you, you owe him. He doesn't go there because guilt is a bad motivator. It lasts for a short time. And, and, and as a church, I, I want to be a, the kind of church, y'all, this is where we want to go, where we just kind of say, here's a need. And we're not begging. You know, well, please, please, we just need people to show up, please. We need people and kids. We need people and neighbors. We need people in community. No, I'm, I want to say, here's a need, and let the Spirit in you kind of move and compel you because of love. I don't want to beg you to do anything. If you don't want to do something, then that's, that's you. But because love is a better motivator than guilt, and begging, and ought to. Now, do I think you ought to? Yes, but I'm not gonna guilt you. I don't wanna guilt you, I don't need to. The way Paul ends Ephesians chapter three, I love, he, this is how he ends the whole deal. He says, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, there it is, may have strength, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. He tries to motivate them with love. And the growing church is growing in love, period. Because we can have the greatest sermons in the world, and we don't, I promise you. 
But if we speak with the tongues of angels and have not love, we are a noisy gong. If, if you're giving like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and giving your own life away to be burned and have not love, it is nothing. It gains you nothing. If you have all faith and you have all knowledge and mystery and you do not have love, you have nothing. So, so it's not just about doctrinal stability. Yes, we want to grow in the knowledge of the truth. We want knowledge that leads to building up in love. That is balancing out the scales. And what does John say? See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we would be called children of God. And what's the next line? And such we are. So what do I want to see? What does God want us to see in, in this next season for us? What does balancing out the scales look like? Other-centered relationships. Committed to each other, right? Everyone's playing a part, whatever that part is. Maybe it's just praying in your prayer closet. I don't know, but everyone has a part and everyone's growing. Man, we do that. God's gonna, you could, we're gonna stand back and see God do some great stuff, y'all. I'm excited about it. Um, I'm, just, I'm just praying that, that you guys would get excited about it too. So let me pray and we will worship, reflect on that just a little bit so you guys can stand with me. Father, I, I just ask as we move to reflect on truth as your church, um, this next season of where we're going, that you would use your word, but you would use this, this people to build each other up in love. Um, there'd be oneness and unitedness that we would gather to be equipped, that we would we'd grow in our, in our walk and in our, in our relationship with you, and then ultimately we would go and be your church, uh, which is what you've called us to do, to go into the world. And so help us to do that. Guide us through it by your spirit. If, if, if there's needs in this body, we want to know them. If people are not connected, we want to help them. Lord, uh, if people are down, we want to encourage them. Uh, just whatever your spirit needs to do right now, Lord, we just invite you in, as we sing just a couple songs to just move um, in a way that only you can. And we'll give you the glory. In Christ's name's sake, I pray.